You are listening to the Brady Farkas Show podcast. Thanks to Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. You can always listen to the show live weekdays from 5.30 to 7 p.m. on WDEV AM and FM and streaming at WDEVradio.com. You can text in your thoughts 24-7 at 802-585-3026. That's 802-585-3026. The following is a presentation from WDEV Radio. Fast-paced. The money was just burning a hole in Bill Belichick's pocket. He had to spend it, and as fast as possible. Opinionated. Of all the stopgap quarterbacks, Cam Newton was the best choice for the Patriots. Kudos to them getting it right. To the point. Socks will be better. They're still finishing in fourth. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome in on a Monday right here, Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Red Sox early morning game today, early morning win today as they split the series with the White Sox on Patriots Day. So we'll get into that. Lots to get to today, actually. Very, very excited. In about 15 minutes, I'm going to speak for the first time with Noah Crane, who is the founder and owner of the Upper Valley Nighthawks in the New England Collegiate Baseball League. So they play in Hartford. They'll have their season opening up in early June and can't wait to see them back on the field again this year, much like the Vermont Mountaineers of the same league. we got a discussion coming on Cam Newton because what's a Monday without a Cam Newton topic? So we'll talk about that as he did show up to uh, the beginning of the Pats offseason program. You can always get in all show long on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line 802-585-3026. That's your locally owned at Napa stores in Waterbury and in Morrisville. No time to waste. Let's get right to it. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center. Locations in Enosburg, Derby, Swanton, Middlesex, and St. Albans, and online at sticksandstuff.com. The Red Sox early morning today on Patriots Day, 11.10 a.m., they do get the win, 11-4, pounding the pale hose. They finish the weekend with a 2-2 split. And this game, Nathan Evaldi struck out 10, but this game was really all about offense from the start for the Red Sox. The Sox came out and scored six runs in the first inning off Lucas Giolito, and then they weren't even done. This was J.D. Martinez in the second. Giolito deals, and there's a drive left field. It's high, it's deep, and it is way back, and it is long gone. It comes down off the National Car Rental sign, almost out of the yard, and the Red Sox lead it 7-1. to one. J.D. with number 6, and his 19th RBI, his 13th extra base hit. There was a lot to like in this game. There was a lot to like in this series from the Red Sox, and let me fixate on this point for a minute. It was... Awesome to see the Sox come back after getting swept yesterday in a doubleheader. The Red Sox very easily could have laid down today. Look at what they were facing. They had been swept yesterday at home in a doubleheader. They played a lot of baseball, a lot of day baseball. You know, Alex Cora said before the game, these guys are a little beat up right now. And when you've lost two in a row on a Sunday, and now you're playing in a weird non-traditional start time in front of still not a lot of fans... Andrew going up against the other team's ace, it would have been very, very easy 
for the Red Sox to just lie down today. They did not lie down. In fact, they were the opposite of lie down. They came out the aggressors. Chicago got up one nothing in the first. This will go down as a come-from-behind victory. But aside from just actually being down one nothing, the Red Sox dominated this game in every sense of it. Nathan Evaldi pounded the zone at 95-plus all day long. Uh, Whitlock was great out of the bullpen as well for his final two and two-thirds innings, and the offense was all over Lucas Giolito. And look, Lucas Giolito is no slappy. Lucas Giolito was a top prospect in baseball. Lucas Giolito has been an all-star. Lucas Giolito has thrown a no-hitter. Lucas Giolito is not a nobody. Lucas Giolito is a stud, and the Red Sox got him for six runs in the first inning. And they did it in every single way. Every single way the Red Sox got after Giolito. Kike Hernandez leads off the game with a homer. They, they used the long ball against him. They slapped the ball the other way like J.D. Martinez did, Franchi Cordero did in the first inning. They did just about everything you could do to a pitcher to make him uncomfortable. They hit the fastball. They hit the changeup. They hit it long. They hit it short. Bobby Dahlbeck had a 14-pitch at-bat, and they made Giolito work. Lucas Giolito threw more than 40 pitches in the first inning. I have rarely ever seen that before. More than 40 pitches thrown in the first inning. The Red Sox could have laid down. They did the exact opposite, and they were all over Giolito from the start. And beyond just today, it's a great job in the series as a whole. I know it's a split, and splits aren't sexy, and people don't love ties. But Lou Merloni, who was on the call today, he said on social media this weekend that he thinks the White Sox may be the best team in the American League. Now, I don't know that they're going to end up with the best record in the American League, but they very well may have the best talent in the American League. They've got a Hall of Fame manager in Tony La Russa. They've got, you know, aside from today, a stud number one in Giolito. They've got a former Cy Young winner in Dallas Keuchel. He's injured at this moment, but they've got a usual reliable innings guy in Lance Lynn. They've got a top prospect in Michael Kopech, and that's just pitching, and everyone in the bullpen throws 107 miles an hour, it seems like. The White Sox may have the most talent in the American League, and the Red Sox just split with them early in the season. That is no small feat. The Red Sox have taken a series from the Twins, they have taken a series from the Rays, and they have split a four-game series with the White Sox. That is not nothing. That is the Red Sox putting some people on notice that they are far better than a lot of people, including me, gave them credit for. They could have lied down today against the other team's ace at a non-traditional start time, and they didn't. In fact, they came out and they excelled. And it wasn't just Martinez. It was Verdugo. It was Devers. It was Franchi Cordero. It was Christian Vasquez, who was 3-for-3 to start this game. It was everybody contributing in this one. Um, Also, you know, of all these numbers don't look as good as they should. He goes for four earned runs total, but... That doesn't tell the story. He had 10 strikeouts today. Nathan Evaldi was nasty today. Two and two, the pitch. Swing and a miss. He did strike him out, and Nate Evaldi ties a career high with 10, and he just fanned one of the most difficult hitters in the American League to strike out. I'm disappointed that Nathan Evaldi ends up getting up that fourth run. So they let him start the seventh, take him out. Whitlock gives up the inherited runner, I believe, and Evaldi ends up with the four runs. He loses the quality start, and his ERA for the day is nearing six. It doesn't feel like that. It felt to me like Nathan Nivaldi was in complete control of this game. He allowed less than a 
you know, a runner per inning, and he had 10 strikeouts. Nathan Evaldi, he he went out and he dominated it, a lineup that should be, at the end of the year, one of the best in the American League. So the Red Sox now with their 11th win of the season. They split with the White Sox. They'll welcome in the Blue Jays to town for a two-game set beginning tomorrow, and we'll have it for you on WDEV. Crew, let's give me a little bit of music. Let's recap the weekend, huh? I don't even care that it's football music. I don't care that this is football music. This is the best soundtrack to do recaps to. It will always be the best soundtrack to do recaps to. The NFL primetime music will always be number one as we recap the weekend. Number one. Yankee fans are just absolutely embarrassing this weekend. Absolutely embarrassing. Not only did the Yankees get swept by the Rays, that's one thing on the field, but in the stands, the Yankee fans who threw baseballs on the uh, on the field deserved a lifetime ban, as far as I'm concerned, from Yankee Stadium. And Michael Kay, Yankees broadcaster, was giving them the business justifiably. That, that's just wrong. Mm-hmm. Stop coming out of the stands, please. You got to be better than that. Objects onto the field. Thank and, you. And uh, being announced over the uh, and they just keep coming. And uh, Rosarena. Somebody's going to get hurt, too. The umpire should pull them off the field. That's 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 not what you want. That's disgraceful. So it was, that was a Friday night's game. It was 8-2 to two, Tampa 1. They proceeded to sweep them through the weekend. Yankee fans were absolutely embarrassing. Michael Kay is right. It was disgusting. It was despicable. There is no need for it. I've said this before, and I will say this probably a zillion more times in my career. Fans who throw things onto the field or fans who say things to athletes on social media are the lowest among society. Okay, they are the lowest form of human life that we live among. They, to me, might as well be from other planets. The people who throw things on the field or go after athletes on social media are just a, a, a pure pile of human filth as far as I'm concerned. There is no need for it, and New Yorkers and New York fans have a bad reputation, but in my experience, they aren't all like that. Okay, and I've never seen that at New Yankee Stadium. New Yankee Stadium opened up, I believe, in 2009, and I was there in its first season. Old Yankee Stadium, that was a scary place. That was a place you didn't want to go. That was a place where things like that happened. New Yankee Stadium, very, very corporatized, a different kind of fan. I've never seen that at New Yankee Stadium. I know you're frustrated the team was struggling. At the time, that made them 5-8, and eight, that loss. They're now 5-10. and 10. I get it, you're mad and you want blood. But you don't throw things on the field. And Tampa, who's who's was on the field at that time, Michael Kay's right. Somebody could have gotten hurt. And that's not me just sounding soft millennial. That's just me, the human being, saying, hey, there's 10,000 fans with the ability to throw projectiles on the field. There's no place for it in our game, and there's no place for it in society as well. The big story today as we continue on. Number two. Longtime NFL quarterback Alex Smith announced his retirement from the NFL this morning. He put out a video on Instagram. Even though I've got plenty of snaps left in me, after 16 years of giving this game everything I've got, I can't wait to see what else is possible. But first, I'm going to take a little time to enjoy a few of those walks with my wife, and my kids have no idea what's coming for them in the backyard. Just an unbelievable career for Alex Smith. He won Comeback Player of the Year last year after coming back from that incredibly gruesome injury. He helped lead the Washington football team to the playoffs. He was always a lightning rod player. He was always good, but never as flashy as the guy who would ultimately replace him. He was good, but he didn't have the excitement of early Colin Kaepernick. He was good, but he didn't have the excitement of Patrick Mahomes. He got the Chiefs to the playoffs, but he wasn't Mahomes. 
the term game manager got thrown around a lot and it got given a bad name and Smith was always associated with it. You know what? I like Alex Smith. And if the Patriots got Alex Smith level production this year from Cam Newton, I think you'd like it too. Alex Smith was 99 and 67 in his career. He had a winning record as a starter every year since 2011. He offered mobility. He was a good leader. He was tough. I always liked Alex Smith as a player. And think about this stat. The only quarterbacks in a season, 4,000 yards, 25 touchdowns, five or fewer picks. Here's the list. Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Alex Smith. Tom Brady's not on that list. Dan Marino's not on that list. Brett Favre's not on that list. Alex Smith is on that list. 4,000 pass yards, 25 TDs, five or fewer interceptions. Alex Smith was far better than he got credit for, and we certainly wish him well in his retirement. That's recapping the weekend here on the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. I am in a very, very fired-up Monday mood here. we got early Red Sox baseball at Fenway, Sox with the win over the White Sox, and I can't wait for more baseball. Soon enough, we're going to be able to have baseball being played locally here in Vermont. The Vermont Mountaineers are starting up. The Vermont Lake Monsters are starting up. And the Upper Valley Nighthawks are starting up also in the New England Collegiate Baseball League. I've never spoken to him. Owner and founder of the Nighthawks, Noah Crane. He's going to join me next right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Hi, this is Evan Hallstrom. I race super late models with the Pro All-Star Series. You can follow me throughout the summer racing up and down the East Coast. I've always loved auto racing. Not only do I drive the car, but I build it with my dad. We're a small family-run team that has a lot of fun. I'm proud of the work that I do with the Governor's Highway Safety Program and the Vermont Highway Safety Alliance. Remember, click it or ticket. Follow me on my Facebook page at Evan Hallstrom Racing and Twitter at EvanHMS1 or my website at EvanHallstromRacing.com. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVRadio.com. Welcome back in, everybody. Brady Farkas Show right here on a Monday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVRadio.com. I am so unbelievably pumped. It's baseball season. We had Red Sox baseball on earlier today. Sox were hitting the you-know-what out of the ball early in the game against the White Sox. And soon, not too long from now, we're going to have baseball being played locally here in Vermont. And one of the places we're going to be playing is in Hartford, where the Upper Valley Nighthawks will take the field in the NECBL to begin play back in 2016. And joining us now is the owner and founder of the Nighthawks. It's Noah Crane. Noah, how are you? I'm doing well. Glad to be here, Brady. Thanks for having me. Well, I appreciate you being with us. I'm so jacked up for baseball. We're all really excited to see summer baseball happening all around Vermont this year, and you guys being a big part of that. Talk to me a little bit about the process of getting back on the field this year. What were the discussions like at the league level, at the state level? When did you find out for sure a season was a go? Yeah, it's been a lot. Uh, It's been uh, over 600 days since we last played a game that was back in August 1st, 2019. And so there's been a whole lot of time for us to think through how are we going to move this season forward. And with the vaccine rollout, with the way things are going nationally, we felt relatively confident that we could pull off a season in 2021. And as we crested into the new year, we had really heated conversations around the league of okay, how do we do this? What do we need to be thinking about? What are the big issues that we need to answer? 
what questions remain, and can we move forward safely for both our fans and for our players. And we all came to the understanding that that could be done, and it certainly helped the more things opened up at the state level. And the biggest hurdle for all of us was really the travel quarantines, and particularly here in the state of Vermont, whereas other New England states had a little bit more freedom to travel. For us, we were limited. And if we had to quarantine each time we left the state, it would be a killer for our schedule. So seeing the governor's release, the opening of things for both June and July, it gave us complete confidence that we could move forward with a season this summer. Yeah, you know, according to the governor's vaccination strategy, you know, he says life should be pretty normal, pretty pre pretty pre-pandemic normal by July 4th. But there is essentially one month of your season prior to that July 4th benchmark. So I think we're all excited for what month two of your season looks like. But what does that one month prior to July 4th look like for you guys from a fan experience? Certainly going to have to remain masked and somewhat distanced as well. We're in a fortunate position that our facility is enormous. And it's not a stadium where you're locked into row 12, seat 7. So people have the ability to space out. But certainly it'll be different than what it'll look like in July. And the way we've approached it is we're just happy to be playing. Yeah. If that means our fans have to wear masks and we've got to distance a little bit and maybe can't have as many people in the park, we'll deal with that because we're just happy to be back playing. And then we know that around the corner in July, things are going to look much more like normal. You know, um, we've never spoken. I don't know if you know anything about me, but I played college baseball. I coached college baseball for a couple of years. So I'm I'm all in on baseball in general, but especially baseball that involves college-age kids and college-age players. I was surprised as I did some research to find out that you mentioned your stadium. It has the biggest seating capacity in your division at 1,500 people. Give me a little virtual tour of the ballpark so uh, when I come out for the first time, what's it going to look like for me? It's a beautiful facility. It was built not too long ago by the town of Hartford. And it is really spacious. We've got a lot of seats in and around the park, but we want to encourage folks to just mill about. We are a family-friendly environment, and that's the bulk of our fan base. And we know, I know I've got three young kids. They're not going to sit still for two hours. And so it's beautiful for us to be able to have the kids roaming free, the parents sitting down in bleacher seats watching and enjoying the game. We also encourage folks to bring lawn chairs, bring a picnic blanket, find your spot where you want to sit and make that your home for the game. And it just works well for us for what we've got going on from an entertainment perspective. I tell my fans all the time, I don't really care if you watch the game. I know you're going to have a good time. I know you're going to enjoy the people that are around you. The music's going to be great. So is the food. And you're going to enjoy the experience, whether we win or whether we lose, or whether you actually watch an inning of the game, you will have an enjoyable time at our park. You know, I may be simplifying it too much because I'm sure there are seats somewhere, but you talk about not being locked into row 12, seat number seven. You're kind of painting like a fun spring training portrait for me where I'm out in the berm in left field. Yeah, we do have some areas like that. We have bleachers that are kind of all around the fencing. And so people pick and choose where they sit. And there's some folks who will sit maybe on the first base side. And then when the sun goes down, they shift over to the third base side. And folks will mill about and visit with friends in different areas. It's a very casual vibe. We don't have a ton of folks who are going to be seated for the entirety of the game. And it's just a neat way to enjoy a summer night 
in a beautiful setting and come and go as you please, mingle, meet different people. We want that. What I always tell folks is it is a baseball game slash farmer's market Hmm. slash carnival all rolled into one. Well, that sounds awesome. Noah Crane, the owner and founder of the Upper Valley Nighthawks of the NECBL. They begin their season in early June. I think I saw it's either June 4th or 5th is is opening day for you guys. So very, very pumped to see you guys back at playing uh, in Hartford. You know, you and your family, I believe, had previously owned an NECBL team. So you get the Nighthawks in 2015. You start playing in 2016. Why did you want, I don't know if it's back in baseball ownership, to stay in baseball ownership, and why here? This is my home, and so I'm uh, I'm a Vermonter. Uh, was uh, I went to Woodstock Union High School, and this is very much my home. And we love baseball. I, I played college baseball. I coached college baseball, and this is in our blood. And when we started this back in 2010, there just wasn't a facility in use or, or available for us to use here in the Upper Valley. And so we started a team over in Laconia, New Hampshire and ran that for a number of years before transitioning away from that and then starting this one when the Maxfield Sports Complex came online. That was really the go-ahead for us. If Maxfield had existed back in 2010, there would have been a team here then versus us going over to Laconia. So for us, it's a combination of our love of the game of baseball, but really a deep love for our community and to be able to do something and give back in a way that brings joys to people's life brings community together and is a way to, to have fun and a good time in the summer. And so it's been, a, it's been great to be here because this is home uh, versus traveling an hour and a half or so one way to get over to Laconia. And this has really just been a wonderful time over the past couple of years. You kind of alluded to this a moment ago, but I'm going to ask you to expand on it now. You guys operate in a weird space, and I've had people at the minor league level tell me this too. You know, Obviously, it's nice when the team wins, but that's not necessarily the thing that matters most. So what constitutes a successful summer for you guys with the Nighthawks? That's a really great question. You're right. And for me as a former player and former coach, there's certainly a competitive side to me. And I'd love to go 42-0 and and win championships every year. But what we look at is, are our players getting better? Are they enjoying their summer? Because for them, this is development. They're coming up here to get better, gain skills, grow as people, grow as baseball players. So we want to make sure they're having a good time. That means great host family environment, good baseball environment, taking care of them, making sure they leave feeling like they enjoyed their summer. And then off the field, we want to entertain people. We're not curing cancer. We know that we're playing baseball, and so we want to do it in a way that brings people together. So for us, a successful summer is, did our players have a good time? And did we entertain our fans well? If we won more games than we lost, that's better. That's a bonus and a benefit. But we know that even if we lose a game and we lose a game badly, our fans are still going to have an enjoyable time at an affordable price, and that's success to us. What's the process like for entrance into the NECBL? Because I... I don't want to ask you to go way deep in the weeds on this, but at least I am wondering what's next for the Vermont Lake Monsters. So they enter the Futures League, and I know there's some kind of matriculation process between the Futures League and the NECBL, just kind of as a blanket overview. What does it take to get into the NECBL? Certainly we're looking for communities that love and would support baseball. So there's certainly a size component to it. And then proximity away from minor league baseball, 
and that's getting easier, sadly, because some of these teams have uh, closed their doors in the past year or two. And then we want to make sure it is a group of people who understand what it takes to execute at this level, um, whether it's financial, operational, just people management skills. And we're looking for, at this point in our iteration, having done this for a long time, we want to make sure we've got stable franchises in a good market and with an adequate field. And that's one of the big hurdles is there aren't any fields available that are ready to go. It's going to take someone who's going to put some money into fixing up the infrastructure, adding lights or adding bleachers or fixing the infield. So there aren't those facilities that are out there anymore, by and large. And so what we are seeing now is we're seeing some teams shift leagues, whereas we just re-added the North Shore Navigators, who used to be in the Futures League. They were in our league back in the early 2010-2012 time frame. And so there's a little bit of movement there. But for us, we're just looking for good quality owners, good quality communities that will fit with what we're doing. We're not in this to make tons of money. If you make money, great, but the goal for us is to break even. The goal for us is to give back to our communities. We're all nonprofits, and so it's a slightly different business model and approach than what you get from a minor league team or from a futures league team. Nothing wrong with their approach at all. We, we look at things a little bit differently where it's, it's more about the community with using baseball as the vehicle than it is about how much money can we squeeze out of this. Noah Crane, owner, founder of the Upper Valley Nighthawks of the NACBL. Their season begins early June. They play their home games in Hartford, 1,500 people uh, capacity, and hopefully at some point this summer we'll be able to get that full capacity stadium there as well. I'll get you out of here on two quicker questions. Um, eh, maybe three, actually. You guys had your first alum make it to the majors last year, I think, and we just saw them. Red Sox played the Twins last week and had the uh, backup catcher uh, Jeffers there, I think. Yeah, he was in the middle of a little bit of controversy as well with that foul tip. Oh, what a horrible no call. What a horrible call that was. Red Sox got screwed there. He hit, missed that ball by six feet. Yes, he did. I, <laughs> even, though, even though Brian's my guy, I agree. He completely missed that ball, and <laughs> they missed the call on that one. But it was a special moment for us. You know, that's part of the intrigue of college summer baseball is you get an opportunity to see these players before they become famous, before they get on the big screen. And – it was really exciting because for us, it was this victory of our first alumnus making it to the majors. That's always a good sign. But two, he's a fantastic young man who's worked incredibly hard. And to see kids like that get a chance to realize their dream is all the more rewarding for us. So it was that sort of double victory of got our first guy to the bigs, and it happened to be a kid who was exceptional and we really loved for his time at when he was here. You know, I tell this story every time I talk about the NECBL, so I'll, apologies to the listeners for telling it for at least a second time on this show. But I asked Brian Gallagher of the Mountaineers this question. I'm asking you. Back in 2013, I had just, uh, let's see, actually, yeah, back in 2013, I coached my first year of college baseball at Norwich University. I was the batting practice pitcher for us, among some other things. And I threw a good batting practice, but I also got the yips a couple times. So I, w- I would say I was good, but not great and a little bit inconsistent. I applied that summer for a coaching job with the Keen Swamp Bats of the NECBL, and they asked me, what kind of batting practice pitcher are you? And I gave that same honest assessment, and I didn't get the job based on my own honest assessment of myself. Should I have lied to the Keen Swamp Bats in order to get the job? Absolutely. Oh. Lie, lie, lie uh, like your pants are on fire. <laughs> and uh, you can always fix the BP, and you've got other guys to help bail you out when you're struggling. 
Well, yeah, it would have been a great opportunity to coach down there. They've always had a ton of tremendous players, good quality teams, and it would have been a great experience. But I, I feel you. My my batting practice can get a little yippy at times as well as a former pitcher. And uh, the guys who can throw quality BP are are really needed. Yep, really needed. Well, since I still hold a grudge nine years later, uh, you know, a, a couple of W's on the column against Keene this summer would be welcome. Uh, we would be glad to do that. <laughs> so appreciate it. Noah Crane, owner, founder of the Upper Valley Nighthawks. Season starts early in June. I'm looking forward uh, to seeing you guys come up here into central Vermont as well, go down to a Mountaineers game, meet you in person if you're around. So uh, looking forward to see your team play. And if you're in the Hartford area, 1,500 fans, uh, hopefully a full capacity at some point this summer and a beautiful ballpark for me to go check out as well. So, Noah, man, I appreciate your time. Good luck this year. Thanks so much. Glad to be here and looking forward to meeting you. Yeah, looking forward to meeting you as well. Noah Crane, there he goes, the uh, owner and founder of the Upper Valley Nighthawks. So get a couple of messages in on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. Dave, who is in White River Junction, says, Brady, I love going to Nighthawks games. Those guys are awesome, and the baseball is always fun, too. Get one in from... uh, Actually, someone in from Hanover, New Hampshire, this one's an unnamed texter who says, I even cross the border, too, and go check out the uh, the games every now and then. Certainly a fun night for the whole family and very, very affordable. So if you want to get in, you can, 802-585-3026. We'll get to our takeaways from our Noah Crane interview here momentarily. When we come back, the Patriots weren't going to be going to off-season workouts, at least most of them. Cam Newton did show up today at off-season workouts. What does that mean for Cam, for the team, and for – the perception of Cam around the league. That's next on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. You're listening to the Brady Farkas Show podcast, brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center, with locations in Middlesex, St. Albans, Swanton, Enosburg, and Derby, and online always at sticksandstuff.com. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV on a Monday. WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Red Sox win today. They beat the White Sox 11-4, and with that, they split the weekend series two games apiece. You can always subscribe to the Brady Farkas Show podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It's all thanks to Sticks and Stuff and Swat and Lumber. I very much uh, enjoyed speaking with Noah Crane, the owner and founder of the Upper Valley Nighthawks of the NECBL, and look forward to uh, getting down there to a game this year. So, uh, early June, we're going to have it. And then by July 4th, sounds like everything right now, knock on wood, is going well in terms of a vaccine rollout. And therefore, capacity limits will be allowed to continue to grow. And we'll all be able to get to ball games uh, with more regularity. So, text line is open, 802-585-3026. Cam Newton showed up today, today one of the Patriots' offseason program. Why is that significant? Well, because the Patriots sent out a memo last week, like a lot of teams did, saying most of us are not going to the workouts. We're, you know, The Players Association said that they were scared of COVID, that they didn't like the COVID protocols. The league didn't quite know what they were doing in terms of COVID. They had put themselves at risk last year. They did not want to do it again this year. And the Patriots said specifically, most of us will not be going. Well, Cam Newton apparently isn't most because Cam Newton showed up here on day one. And this is very, very interesting on a whole lot of different fronts. Let me say this. From my perspective, as a selfish Patriots fan, I am acknowledging, as a selfish Patriots fan, I love that Cam is there. Now, 
I also, look, I believe that COVID still exists. I am not someone who thinks that it doesn't. But as long as protocols are being adhered to, I love that Cam is there. Cam Newton, is pretty evident to me, has made a decision that he wants to be better in 2021 than he was in 2020. And the way that he's decided he can help do that is to be in the building and be around the coaching staff and be around any potential teammates that he may have more often. As a selfish Patriots fan, I'm not looking at it from any other perspective at this moment. Other than that, I love that Cam is there and that he has shown up. Cam has acknowledged that he wasn't great last year in stretches and long stretches, by the way. He said part of the reason he doesn't think he was great last year is that he was behind schedule. He signed late, got COVID, etc. He thought he was behind schedule. He vowed he did not want that to be the case again this year. And here he is putting that into practice. He's there early. He signs early. He shows up on day one of the offseason program. And he is around whatever other teammates may be there and the coaching staff. From a player or from a fan perspective, you have to love that Cam Newton is there. From a fan perspective who wants the Patriots selfishly to be better in 2021, you have to love that Cam Newton is there. I do think there's also, for Cam's perspective, a degree of understandable selfishness here. And I I don't begrudge him for it. I love him for it. Think about this. Cam Newton knows he needs to play well this year in order to keep his job. The excuses for Cam are gone, right? The the COVID should not be a thing for him by then. The team has weapons around him. The team has spent money. He's got year two in the system. The schedule is easier. There will be fans in the building. So the excuses for Cam are gone. The reasons for Cam's struggles are gone. He knows he needs to play well in order to keep his job. And he knows he needs to play well maybe in order to keep his career going. Cam Cam is a smart guy. He knows what's being said by everybody, including us. Cam knows the Patriots may end up with a quarterback this year in the draft. He knows they may trade up to get that quarterback of the future in the draft, and he knows that the fans are going to want to see that quarterback at the first sign of any trouble. If Cam Newton is going to hold off that quarterback of the future, I think Cam wants to be able to look at himself in the mirror and say that he did everything he could to be successful in Foxborough. I don't think Cam wants to leave any stone unturned, and I think part of doing Everything you can to be successful is being present as much as you can, trying to learn as much as you can, trying to build relationships in any way that you can. Cam was was stripped of a lot of valuable time and opportunities last year. He does not now want to strip himself of that same time and those same opportunities. I think there absolutely is a selfish component here to Cam. And you know what? One of the best pieces of advice I ever got from a coach is, the offseason is a selfish time. I think Cam can be out for him right now. And he knows the team may draft a quarterback now in 10 days. And if he wants to hold off that quarterback, I think he wants every bit of face time, every bit of opportunity, every bit of everything in order to keep his job. And I don't begrudge him for that. I applaud him for that, that he has the self-awareness to recognize that he needs to play well and 
Because if Cam didn't show up all off season until training camp, or there's a mandatory mini camp in June, but if he didn't show up except for that, and then all of a sudden he was terrible, well, we'd say, you know what, Cam, maybe you should have been there. Well, Cam has taken that guesswork out of it. He is at least putting himself in a position where he can't be judged for not trying hard enough. He is trying hard enough here to make an impact on his team, in the organization, and for his own career. I also think there's a mon- uh, there's a monetary component to this. Cam Newton has a $100,000 offseason workout bonus. And don't think that that's not part of this either. Cam Newton has made a lot of money in his career, but money matters to players. Simply put, bar none, with very few exceptions, money matters to players. Cam doesn't have a whole lot of anything guaranteed in his contract. One way in which he can guarantee dollars is simply showing up at the offseason program. And it's that simple. Money matters to all of these players, and Cam has a chance to make more of it simply by showing up. I think that's less a part of it, but I think that's part of it. Money matters to players, and Cam Newton is no different. It matters to him also. The question is, the real kicker is this, 802-585-3026 on the Napa-Morrisville-Napa-Waterbury text line. Does this change any perception of Cam Newton in that locker room for the Patriots? Before you laugh at me and before you dismiss the question, Think about it. You have an NFL Players Association that is trying to get all of its players to not show up for these voluntary workouts. They are trying to take a stand because they want virtual all the time moving forward. And they're trying to present a unified front against ownership. And the teams are trying to do this together in coordination with each other, and they want their players to adhere to this also. The players are sending a message. And now Cam Newton has gone against the Players Association wishes, and he has shown up. Do you think that there is resentment of Cam Newton somewhere within the Players Association ranks and within the Patriots locker room? I think one of those questions is yes, and one of those questions is no. If I'm J.C. Treader and I am the... Um, on the Players Association president, he plays for the Browns. I'm absolutely mad at Cam Newton. The quarterbacks have the power in this league, and even though Cam doesn't make a ton of money, Cam Newton's name, image, and status have power in this league. If Cam Newton shows up and goes against the Players Association wishes, then I am mad at Cam because Cam has sent a message. We wanted him to send our message, But he didn't, and he sent a message to ownership that their plan is important. He's gone against the players. If I'm Treader or an outside team member, I am upset with what Cam did. But if I'm in the locker room for the Patriots, I understand. If I'm in the locker room for the Patriots, I understand. Given Cam's status in the league, As a 10-year veteran who's won an MVP, who's been to a Super Bowl, he carries a lot of clout in that locker room. And I think any player player who would be resentful of his decision would never speak it into existence, would never say it because of the respect that Cam has in that locker room. And I think players understand the money aspect, so they understand the bonus structure and that, you know, players don't mess with other players' money. 
I think Cam will be able to overcome any ill feelings in that locker room. I think the Pats have enough young guys that would never question Cam publicly because of his accomplishments. And I think the Pats have enough veterans who understand that every person's career is in a different spot and they all have their own reasons for doing stuff. Devin McCourty, Stephon Gilmore, Matthew Slater, James White, I think they all would get Cam's reasoning and rationale. They know that he's trying to hold on to his job, and I think they would respect that. But outside of that locker room, I do think there'd be some real resentment here uh, as well. So it's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Okay, we just had Noah Crane on from the uh, Upper Valley Nighthawks. And let's see, we did we get to the takeaways? Uh, let's see if we got the audio here. Very, very... Um, okay, I do think we got him. We'll take up a second here to pull him up. But uh, Noah Crane was just on with us. He's the owner and the founder of the Upper Valley Nighthawks. So uh, very, very cool to talk with him. We asked him, what makes a successful summer for your your organization? Because winning for, in the NECBL is not the thing that's going to dictate the uh, successful summer. Here's what Noah Crane had to say. What makes a successful summer in the NECBL? What we look at is are our players getting better are they enjoying their summer? Because for them, this is development. They're coming up here to get better, gain skills, grow as people, grow as baseball players. So we want to make sure they're having a good time. That means great host family environment, good baseball environment, taking care of them, making sure they leave feeling like they enjoyed their summer. I think that is a really smart way of looking at it. I think that's an eloquent way of putting it. I think if you're a kid who's playing for the Vermont Lake Monsters, the Vermont Mountaineers, the Upper Valley Nighthawks, you want to walk away here with a great experience because think about this. This is, I mean, playing summer baseball in an environment like this, like this is the ultimate. Like this is the goal. Okay. A lot of these guys will never get to the majors. Some of them will, but a lot of them won't. So what they'll have are these experiences of traveling around and feeling like a major leaguer. Okay. Cause you don't get this experience anywhere else. When you're in college, and you play college baseball. You play a weekend series Friday, Saturday. You play a midweek game. You practice a bunch. You play again Friday, Saturday. You go to class. You do all those other things that are part of life when you're in college. When you are in the NECBL and you're playing 60 games, you're playing almost every day. You're on a bus living the minor league lifestyle. There is nothing like this. I only wish that I had had an opportunity to do this. It's a long summer. It's a grind summer. It's a grueling summer, but it's the only chance a lot of these guys will ever have to feel like major leaguers. And Noah Crane's telling you, I want those guys to have had that experience. You're playing, you know, 60 games in 64 days. You're in buses. You're meeting new guys. You're playing guys from conferences all around the country. You're hearing more stories. You're making more friends. All you do is play baseball. There isn't the school component. There isn't the you know, the social component in the way that you're used to. It's different. And it's also not a job. It's still fun. It's not the business. It's your life for that summer, but it's not you know, it doesn't make or break your life. I could only wish I got the opportunity to do this as well. I mean, this this would be the ultimate. 
All I do is play baseball. I wake up, I go to the park, I'm there all day. We play the game. I make new friends with guys all around the country. The food's given to me there. I go home. There's a great host family who loves having me around. I make friends with them. And some of these guys stay in touch with their host families for life. I mean, I think about when I was younger, we had the Babe Ruth World Series come to town. You know, Babe Ruth was, you know, age 13 through 15, but there was one at 13, 14, and 15 separate ages. We had the Babe Ruth World Series come to my town multiple occasions. And we had some of those guys, you know, we had one year we had kids from Ohio live with us. We had kids from Massachusetts live with us. Like, that, that was awesome. It was awesome for them because they got to come and be a part of the World Series. It was awesome for us because you got a chance to make some friends. For the most part, the guys I had were pretty good. Like, some of them even kept in touch for a couple of years after. Like, that that was awesome stuff. And I I... It's going to sound corny and romantic, but I just I don't care. I cannot wait for the summer baseball season here. I am going to go to Vermont Mountaineers games. I'm going to go to an Upper Valley Nighthawks game when I can. I, I want to see their their complex and their 1,500 people. I want to see that. Like This is going to be fun, and I want to see where these kids play. I wanted the Lake Monsters to join the NECBL, and maybe they will. Maybe they'll matriculate someday to the NECBL. But I want to see a high caliber of baseball with guys playing from high levels all around the country. Uh, get one in on the text line, 802-585-3026 from Jason, who is in Montpelier, who says, Brady, I love the NECBL. You can tell the guys there are playing for the right reasons, for the love of the game. I, I, you know, most of them are. I mean, they're all playing because they want to play. They're playing because I think they want that big league experience. Some of them are getting looks to go beyond that. Not all of them, but some of them are. And it's just a great, great environment. And I, I can't wait for it. So it's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. We do it every single day. Let's get to who's saying what. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? I don't I don't like the signing. <laughs> I'm not happy about the signing. Okay. I think about 99.5 of New England is upset with this news today. All right. They really said that? That's the issue for me, is that he is limited physically. In a vacuum, Cam Newton's shoulder is what it is. His body is what it is. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN had this to say on Saturday night about Celtics coach Brad Stevens. I was told that Indiana was prepared to offer him seven years, $70 million. Seven years, $70 million would have been the offer for Indiana or from Indiana to Brad Stevens. Now, Brad Stevens just came out recently and said he never got that offer, so he doesn't know where that came from. Now, but Woj did say they were prepared to. He never said they formally asked. But, you know, regardless, let's not quibble with semantics here on this. Indiana was evidently going to open up their pocketbooks for Celtics head coach Brad Stevens. You know what? I have no issue with any of this. Like, this is exactly how this should have gone down. Indiana sees itself as a legacy program. If it wants to continue to be seen that way, it needed to go after a big name. It allegedly was going to. They should have gone after a homegrown guy. They went after a guy who's from Indiana and Brad Stevens. Check that box, too. That's important. I like that they thought that way. And I like that they were willing to flex their financial muscle, allegedly, to try to get Brad Stevens. A big-name college program who's down on its luck, 
wanted to make a home run and was willing to spend big to do it. That's exactly what they should have done. And Brad Stevens should have done exactly what he did or was going to do if it was ever offered, and that is say no. Brad Stevens, if Brad Stevens wants a college job in the future, one will always be there. They're available every year. Heck, good jobs are available every year. The Boston Celtics are there one time. The Boston Celtics head coaching job is open for Brad Stevens one time. He could go, you know, next year he could end up at, if he really wanted to, if he got fired from the Celtics, he could end up at Cal, or he could end up at Wake Forest, or he could end up at this or that or the other. He, he, could, get the, he could get any of those jobs any day of the week. Whatever college job was available, Brad Stevens could get. You can't get the Boston Celtics job every single day. So, if Brad Stevens' goal is to coach at the NBA, that that's that that's it. That there's nothing. Indiana did the right thing; they opened up the the pocketbook, and Brad Stevens, if it was officially offered, would have done the right thing and turned it down. Brad Stevens loves to coach. He loves to coach basketball. That's what happens in the NBA. In college, a lot of coaching is not coaching. You have to recruit and go to alumni functions and schmooze hands and work with the AD and work with the university president. And then your assistant leaves and this, that, and the other. A lot of coaching in college is not coaching. Coaching in the NBA is coaching. There's still some BS stuff you got to deal with. But if Brad Stevens likes to coach basketball, he gets that opportunity in the NBA. Speaking of coaching, let me kind of bounce here for a second. Kevin Sweeney of Sports Illustrated said that former UVM basketball star TJ Sorrentine, who's the associate head coach at Brown, is a finalist for the Central Connecticut State head coaching job. That's awesome news for TJ. And by the way, Kelvin Jefferson, who's a former UVM assistant, he's also a finalist. I don't know him. I've only spoken to TJ, so I can only really speak on him. But I'm surprised to see TJ Sorrentine in the mix. Not because he's not qualified, not because he's not a good coach. All reports are that he's good. But I thought he told me a couple of years ago that he wasn't sure he wanted to be a head coach. So he's more than allowed to change his mind. He's more than allowed to set new goals or whatever. But before, that was not necessarily a priority of his to be a head coach. And it looks like TJ Sorrentine has uh, has changed his mind. I'm looking forward to speaking with uh, Tom Brennan coming up here uh, tomorrow. TB is going to join us at 545 on the show tomorrow. We'll ask him about a couple of guys he knows well in the running for that Central Connecticut State job. So texting uh, text comes in from uh, Mark up in Burlington on the Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line, who says, wow, go TJ, would love to see him be a head coach. And I, I'd love to see it too. If he wants it, I'd love to see it. He's got a good personality. He's young. He's tough. He's gritty. By all accounts, he's a good recruiter. He's worked at a school that's at a very, very high level academically, so he certainly has a good job at identifying the right kind of kids when you recruit. And I'm, he could certainly do that at a school without those requirements at Central Connecticut State. It'd be easier to recruit at Central Connecticut State in some ways. So if TJ Sorrentine wants to be a head coach, I am all in on him being a head coach. And I, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I, I, I've always enjoyed TJ Sorrentine. Every time I speak to him, he is a great guy who I enjoy having on. So it's the Brady Farka Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. When we come back, Red Sox win today. They beat the White Sox. Is Alex Verdugo 
set to become everything we thought Andrew Benintendi would be? I think yes. That's next, right here on WDEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Brought to you in part by Evan Holstrom Racing. Evan Holstrom is a uh, 18-year-old, oh, I'm sorry, yeah, an 18-year-old out of Northfield, Vermont, part of the 2021 Pro All-Star Series Super Late Model lineup. And Evan uh, competing in tracks all around New England here this season. He'll be up at uh, Oxford Plains Speedway in Maine, coming up here on the 25th. The past, the Pro All-Star Series just raced this past weekend over at uh, New Hampshire at Loudoun Speedway. So another great event this weekend by all accounts. Evan, again, 18 years old. He has uh, really made a name for himself in this state. If you're somebody who goes to races at Thunder Road and if you're somebody who uh, enjoys learning about local racers, you're going to see Evan there at some point this season as well. So you can check him out online at evanholstromracing.com and go follow him on all social media channels as well, on Facebook and on Twitter and on Instagram. Red Sox beat the White Sox today 11-4. With that, the Red Sox are now 11-6 on the season. And the question is, is Alex Verdugo, who was acquired last year in the Mookie Betts trade, is he set to become everything we thought that Andrew Benintendi would be? Verdugo homered again today, by the way. 0-1, the pitch. Swing and a drive to deep right field. Back on it goes Eaton at the wall. Gone! Verdugo goes yard his third of the year, and it's 9-2 Red Sox. Is Alex Verdugo going to become everything we thought Andrew Benintendi would be? 802-585-3026 on the Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line. Now... I think that's a little harsh on Benatendi, given he was great in 2018 and he made a catch in Houston, the ALCS, that helped him win the World Series. But beyond that, like it feels mean to say that, like to diss Benatendi like that, but yeah, I kind of think the answer is yes. Alex Verdugo is doing all the things we thought that Andrew Benatendi would do. I mean, Verdugo's now got three homers. He's hitting for some power. He could steal a bag if you need him to. He's up near 280, you know, with his average. When I see Alex Verdugo, he's a guy who I could see hitting one or two in the lineup, same as I saw for Benatendi. I think he's a guy who can hit nearish to 300. I think he's a guy who can hit 20 homers. I think he's a guy who could steal 15 to 20 bases. I don't think he will this year, but I think that he could steal 15 to 20 bases. And that is exactly what I hoped Andrew Benatendi would be. And and Benatendi just wasn't able to do it consistently. Benatendi's numbers decreased every year. And by the way, in Kansas City right now, Benatendi's hitting 216 with no homers and just three doubles. He has no power. He's not running. And Benatendi, it's surprising for me to see him struggle because I think he's always had a good makeup and a good physical tool set, but he just hasn't found a way to gain consistency or to expand his game. And really what this comes down to, for me, is this case proves that homegrown players, I've said this for years, homegrown players are viewed so much differently than acquired players. There was a time, two years ago, I wouldn't have traded Andrew Benintendi for almost anyone. 
almost anyone. I love Benintendi that much. And why is that? Because he's a homegrown player. You are so blinded by the fact that you are, when a guy is a homegrown player, that you just don't want to let go. You have put in time and energy as a fan in learning this guy, learning who he is, following him through the minors, getting excited, checking prospect rankings, and then seeing him get to the big leagues, and then seeing him take that step, and then seeing him get to the, you know, be a part of a World Series team. And you just think, like, this is our guy. And that is how I felt with Andrew Benatendi. And evidently, I was wrong. He is not the player right now that I expected him to turn into. Alex Verdugo is the guy that I expected Andrew Benintendi to turn into. Look around the league right now and think about why players are treated by fan bases certain ways. When a player is acquired, he has no equity with fans. When a player is drafted or signed and developed, that player has a very, very, very long leash. Okay? Look at New York. Giancarlo Stanton, Yankee fans hate him. He's a hired gun. He makes $300-plus million. Not one of those fans is attached to Giancarlo Stanton. He's not their guy. You know who is their guy? Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge is a lot like Giancarlo Stanton. Hits the ball a mile, gets injured. Now, Judge has a better personality, but Judge gets injured. Judge hits the ball a mile. Judge strikes out a ton. That's that's the same t- uh, skill set as Stanton. Why is Judge viewed one way? Because he's a homegrown player. Giancarlo Stanton is viewed as a hired gun who's not worth his money. Judge doesn't make a lot of money. That helps. And because he's a homegrown guy, fans will always give him the benefit of the doubt because they want to believe in him because they followed him for years. And on the Yankees specifically, the Yankees you know, of the 90s were built with this idea of the core four and Rivera and Pettit and Jeter and Bernie Williams, and it was all about homegrown talent and Posada. So Yankee, the Yankees were built on homegrown talent, and fans in New York are trying to replicate that. That is why they want to hold fast to Judge, and they want to love Glaber Torres, who was not homegrown but came to the Yankees at a very, very young time in his career, and they want to love Clint Frazier, They don't love Aaron Hicks, who's making $70 million and who's not one of them. They love Clint Frazier, though. And think of the Red Sox the same way, okay? Red Sox fans, this is exactly how I was with Ben Attendee. I was so holding fast to Ben Attendee because he was one of us. And Mookie, that's why it hurts so much. Okay, That is why it hurts. When the hometown player leaves, it hurts because you invested that time. It's not just that Mookie Betts is a great player. It's that Mookie Betts was your great player. You found him, and you developed him, and you as a fan studied him from age 18 on. And you bought the jersey, and you knew the name, and you went to Centennial Field to watch him play for the Lowell Spinners. This is why we're attached. Alex Verdugo doesn't have that attachment, so it's... and. To be the guy who comes in and replaces the homegrown player, that's a really, really difficult position for Verdugo to be in. He's very lucky. He's playing so well. And, uh, you know, he's lucky that he's getting credibility with the fans so early here because it'd be very, very easy to pile on him as, oh, he's not Mookie. He's not our guy. Well, Verdugo is turning into your guy. And 
I think I was blinded by the Benintendi love because he was our guy. But Verdugo is turning in to everything we thought. You know, look again at the Red Sox. Okay, John Lackey was hated. Why? Well, John Lackey wasn't very good, and John Lackey signed a whole lot signed for a whole lot of money. And John Lackey was a hired gun. He was expected to come in and do a job, and he didn't do it. John Lester, though, he was loved. Homegrown player. Loved. Homegrown players always have the benefit with fans. The only homegrown player I remember the Red Sox really getting on is Clay Buckholtz. They they soured on him pretty quickly. Like, Clay Buckholtz, the homegrown guy, he got the wrath of the fans in a way that uh, usually is reserved for the hired help. But Bogarts, Devers, they all have longer leashes. Okay, Hanley Ramirez, when he came back to Boston, hired gun, $100-plus plus million deal, couldn't stand him. Pablo Sandoval, same thing. Had those guys been career-long Red Sox like Dustin Pedroia was, there'd be a, you know, they would have gotten the extra years on their careers in Boston. So 802-585-3026. Ben Attendee, or rather Verdugo, also is fun to watch. He had good Good banter with the fans today. The guy had the Verdugo sign. So Verdugo's a fun player. Good personality, good energy, hits for some power, hit the, hits in the two-hole in the order at times, can play all three outfield positions. Verdugo is a good player. He may never turn into Mookie Betts, but that trade is not going to be the complete washout that people thought it was going to be at the beginning. So, all right, we do it every single day on the Brady Farkas Show. Let's get to crazy Twitter takes. The internet, it's a really weird place. Where'd you hear that? The internet. And you believed it? Yeah. They can't put anything on the internet that isn't true. Where'd you hear that? The, the internet. internet. It's time for crazy Twitter takes on the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEVAM, FM, and WDEVRadio.com. Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills! Crazy Twitter takes right here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. They were talking on the, the TV broadcast today of the Red Sox, and then I saw, saw subsequently on social media about all the surprises around the American League. And if you look at the divisional standings right now in the American League, Red Sox are in first at 11-6. and six. The Royals are in first, despite Andrew Benatendi's bad play at 9-5. and five. And the Mariners are in first place at 10-6 and six in the West, and we're going to see Seattle come to town this weekend. They were saying, you know, those teams are surprising. But then they asked the question, are the Red Sox also a surprising team here at 11-6? and six? And the answer for me is, eh, I don't know what the answer is for me on that. I said I think the Red Sox will finish in fourth place. I also said I thought the Red Sox will be good at the beginning of the season. Where I think the Red Sox are going to do, do poorly is, when innings limits, guys who haven't played in forever, the innings catch up to them, and the injuries pile up and there's no prospects to come up and help. That is where I think the Red Sox will fall in trouble. What's surprising to me is not that the Red Sox are good early. What's surprising to me is that the Yankees and Blue Jays are not good early. They, that is what is more surprising to me. The Red Sox being good early, this is something that I thought could happen. But, you know, seeing their division be weak around them is something I was not ready for. I was not ready for the Rays to just be 8-8 eight and eight through 16 games. I was not ready for, for Toronto to be 7-9. and nine. I wasn't ready for the White Sox to be 8-9 and nine or the Twins to be 6-8. and eight. The, the Red Sox have, they have played better than a lot of people expected. I had them being good at the very beginning of the year. Where I think they'll be poor is into June and into July. 
and I don't think they can win a World Series. I don't. I didn't even have them pegged for the playoffs, but they are a team with real talent. They are a team with real talent, and if they can avoid injuries, I think they got a chance of being good. They are less of a surprise than the Royals and the Mariners are. That they're long story long. The Royals are a surprise in a division that features the Indians, White Sox, and Twins, and the Mariners are a surprise in a division that features the Astros. But the Red Sox. They're not a surprise. It's the teams around them in their division being garbage. That's a surprise. Red Sox-Blue Jays tomorrow, 6-10 with the pregame show. We will have a show for a half an hour live tomorrow. And uh, then we'll have Tom Brennan at 545 also. I'm going to try to put out also a digital version of the show that's longer and expanded from the half-hour live product. So uh, we'll see if we can get to that. That's the goal for tomorrow. And uh, we are certainly uh, trying to make that happen. So... It is the Brady Farkas Show right here. When we come back, speaking of the awful Yankees, Aaron Boone, I think you need to be very, very, very fearful about your job security. Aaron, I hope you're renting and not buying right now in the New York area. That's next on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here, WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Remember, Dinner Jazz comes up at 7 o'clock with John Wilson. We'll go up until then. The full show podcast is going to be online about 10 minutes after the show, thanks to Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber online at sticksandstuff.com. I spent a lot of time, obviously, talking about the Red Sox, but I want to move over to the Yankees again, who are 5-10 right now, and just they have the worst record in the American League. I absolutely think that Aaron Boone could lose his job. I absolutely think that Aaron Boone, the manager of the Yankees, could lose his job if things don't turn around quickly. Aaron Boone spoke yesterday after another loss to the Rays in which they were swept and spoke with kind of a real dejection in his tone, and it's just searching for answers right now. They aren't hitting for power, which we took for granted. They aren't hitting for average. Their starters haven't been very good. They're behind all the teams we thought were in the dregs of the American League with Baltimore, Texas, Detroit. I absolutely think that Aaron Boone is on the hot seat here. No, There is no doubt in my mind that the wheels are turning in the Yankees' front office. Before the season, I said I thought Aaron Boone was under an immense amount of pressure. This team has been built to win the World Series. It spent money on DJ LeMahieu. It spent money a couple of years ago on Araldis Chapman. It spent huge money to acquire Giancarlo Stanton and huge money to acquire Garrett Cole. It brought in Zach Britton on some decent money for the bullpen, and he's hurt right now. It has developed its own core, homegrown, Claybor Torres and and Aaron Judge. They, I mean, they've spent money on Aaron Hicks, you know, seventy million dollars. Gary Sanchez, like this team is built to win the World Series. It is The thought process is that this team will win the World Series. It spent money on DJ LeMahieu. They've been to the ALCS multiple times under Aaron Boone. They've lost to the small market Rays in the playoffs before. They've lost to the Astros, you know, another team that shouldn't be in the same stratosphere as the Yankees. I have seen complaints from Yankee fans on social media that ownership hasn't done enough, that they haven't spent enough for this team to be competitive. Look, maybe it's true. I am not following the Yankees every single moment like I follow the Red Sox. Could they have done more? They tried to get Patrick Corbin a couple years ago before he went to Washington. Could they have upped the ante for him? Maybe. Uh, 
Could they have gone for Bryce Harper a little more before Philly did a couple years ago? Maybe, but, you know, they haven't. But so you know what? Yankee ownership can't go find a $300 million player right now to appease the fans and their spending desires. You know what they can do? They can fire the manager. If ownership wants to show that it cares that this team is struggling, it can't go sign Manny Machado right now. It can't go sign Bryce Harper. It can't sign another Garrett Cole. It can't sign Trevor Bauer this offseason. It can't do that right now. What it can do to rattle to, to, to rattle everything is fire Aaron Boone. And look, again, I don't watch the Yankees right now with a ton of regularity. I do watch, but I don't proclaim to be a Yankees expert. I can't tell you that Aaron Boone is a bad manager. But I can tell you that the results right now were bad, and this team has gotten too close too many times to not get over the hump. They've spent a bunch of money, they've invested in prospects, they've developed in prospects, and they need to win. And if ownership has failed the fans by not spending enough, then what's the one thing they can do to show the fans that they really care and that they're frustrated just like the fans are? It's fire Aaron Boone. I don't know that managerial-wise Aaron Boone deserves to be fired, but I know that somebody's head is going to have to roll here, and it's going to be Aaron Boone if this team doesn't get it together soon. Because it's embarrassing the way the Yankees are playing right now. To be 5-10, and 10, to be swept at home by Tampa? I mean, it's one thing to be beaten early in the season while everyone's kind of optimistic and feeling themselves out here. It's another thing to be as bad as the Yankees have been. Buster Olney of ESPN talking about kind of just how bad it is right now for New York, especially offensively. You look at the bottom of the American League East standings, the New York Yankees, they are dead last. And look, they have concerns with their rotation. They have concerns with a worn-out bullpen. But their big problem, the offense, which is supposed to be the backbone of this team so far this year. They're 24th in runs scored, 25th in batting average. Tony, that's got to get better. So, Buster's, I mean, you're talking about 20, we, we had numbers where the Yankees are down in the 20s. That can't happen. The Yankees' calling card is their offense. We knew we had questions about their pitching staff. We knew we had questions about their bullpen. At least in the early season while Britain was hurt. We knew that was where this weakness was going to come. They were going to need to hit and hit a lot, and they haven't hit. And Aaron, someone's head's going to roll, and it just may be Aaron Boone. It's the Brady Farkas Show. Right here on WDEV. All right, I want to get to closing thoughts. Now, let's see if I can hit the right button this time. Now, I want to get to closing thoughts. Closing thoughts. Closing time. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Closing thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV. I want to, start, I want to go very, very hyper-local here. For a second, very, very hyper local. I want to give a shout out and congratulations to the Norwich University baseball team, which just won its sixth straight game yesterday. They are now six and two on the year. I talk about it occasionally. I got to coach at Norwich for one season, and the head coach at Norwich now is Frank Pecora, who was in his first season of coaching with me back when I was there in 2013. So it's whatever now, the eighth or ninth year that Coach Pecora has been doing it. And he was the legendary Northfield High School baseball coach. He was there for 37 years, won nearly 20 state championships in Division Four 
Frank Pecora is a legend high school baseball-wise in this state, and it was an honor for me to work under him for one year. I will never forget it. It is he. I am far more indebted to him than he realizes and far more grateful to him than he realized. And I am very, very excited to see the Norwich baseball team being relevant. Coaching at Norwich for that one year was one of the greatest experiences of my life. It opened up a lot of doors for me professionally. It allowed me to meet some people who really shaped my life personally. And a lot of kids who, you know, like that, that jump-started my desire at one point to be a college baseball coach, that experience at Norwich. And to see this team, that program, rise from the ashes and now be at a point where they're 6-2 and two through eight games. Like, I don't know. They played Colby Sawyer this weekend. I have no idea who they're beating. They're beating Riviere. They're beating Colby Sawyer. I don't know if these teams are good, and I don't care. Because for a long time, Norwich was the doormat who everybody used to beat. And I'm talking like 2-33 and 33 and 3-35. and 35. Like This was the record. When we were there, when I coached the first year with Coach Pecora, we went 9-26, and 26, I believe, and it was the most wins for the program in 10 years. And we actually got to the playoffs. And we advanced there on the last day of the regular season. You would have thought that we had won the College World Series just getting to the playoffs with nine wins. Like, the the program was thought so little of. The, the infield was a parking lot. The dugouts were 100 years old. The outfield was run over by the football team and their practice field. Like, just nobody cared. Coach Pecora has made that program relevant and has made the administration see that program as relevant. And now, I don't know that Norwich is ever going to get to the Division Three College World Series. I don't know that they're ever going to finish in the top two of their conference. But I know now that the administration at least takes the program seriously. And that is all thanks to one man, and that's Frank Pecora. And it was awesome for me to be able to be with him for a year, to consider him a friend. I haven't spoken to him now in about a year and a half, and you know this kind of spurs me into I have to give him a call at some point too. But uh, Norwich baseball, winners of six straight. There were a lot of years where that program couldn't win six games. Fortunately, we did it the year I was there, but they struggled a couple of years after I was there too because it's hard. It's a hard place to win. It's a hard place to recruit, and Frank Pecora has brought it back to the point where you can do those things respectively in the team now is 6-2. and two. We don't talk a lot of D3 baseball, but uh, Coach Pecora, that is awesome, and I am uh, pumped for him and for the cadets. The Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV. If you miss any of the program, you can always check it out on social media and uh, on the podcast channel at Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It's all thanks to Sticks and Stuff. Thanks to Noah Crane of the Upper Valley Nighthawks for uh, joining me today. That interview is there as well. Red Sox baseball tomorrow. Remember, between the Sox and Blue Jays, we'll have the half-hour live show, and we'll work to uh, grab something uh, a little longer on the digital front. All right, see you tomorrow, everybody, right here on WDEV.